You're listening to the Open Tab Podcast. Welcome to episode four of the Open Tab Podcast. My name is Anis Ridar. I'm joined with my co-host here, Carl Hill, and this will be the first episode of the summer series. Mitch Lord is unfortunately back home in Philadelphia, but will be joining us later on today to talk about the NBA draft. So, Carl, how's it going? How's life? Are you excited to join us here on the Open Tab Podcast? I'm super excited, Ani. Mr. Sweetheart, it's been a while. We've, we haven't talked in, I mean, we've talked, but we haven't been face-to-face in about, was it like seven months now? Yeah, it's about seven months since you decided to ditch everyone here in College Park and go sure. study abroad in Spain and live your life. How was that, by the way? Oh, wonderful experience. Um, gotta say, learned a lot. Um, not necessarily schoolwork-wise, though. <laughs> um, but one of one of the things I did take away was just how. I mean, you can speak to this too because you just got back from a, a trip in India. But how sports are uniting one and two just commonplace all over the world so I studied Madrid Spain so I was living under the Real Madrid shell of the did they get no, they didn't get the treble this year they lost the Delray but the yeah, Champions League and won the league yeah um got to see I was lucky enough to witness um Liverpool I'm a, I'm a red just gonna be biased right now <laughs> but um smack down the gunners of Arsenal in Anfield and that was just if you ever get a chance to visit uh, your favorite team stadium is, is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So you got to see two English teams play soccer, but how is it different with soccer in England and soccer in Spain? I'm sure it's a different culture. Definitely a different culture. Um, the team, it's definitely more... I'll say that the England team, just purely done by the Premier League's marketing, is much more universal. Spanish is more hyper-local. Um, you've got your big teams, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico is the third leg, trying to make a name for themselves. But the, what I learned about, with specifically in Madrid, is there is a class um, affiliation with each team on whether you support, which is and you, by purely by guessing, by saying what team you support, you could tell what type of job you might do or where you might live within the city of Madrid. And I think that's kind of um, representative all over Spain, which is very interesting. Whereas the working class taxi drivers support Atletico Madrid, the upper class got live on the north side of Madrid, the bankers more likely more often support Real Madrid. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, so you were there for the meet of, let's see, the end of the Premier League season, the Champions League, which is awesome because soccer is a great sport and I would argue it's probably the one sport that almost every country in the world can somewhat relate to yeah so when i was in india obviously the biggest sport there's cricket and i would i woke up at about 5 a.m to watch the nba finals because of the time difference but i'd be the only one in my family to wake up to watch it because not everyone there's the biggest nba fan basketball is still growing there and soccer though my cousin and i we woke up, not woke up, we stayed up until midnight to watch the Champions League final between wow. Madrid and Juventus, and soccer is huge in India, I mean, almost half the people are Manchester United fans, because I have no idea why, but they love Man U, I might, it might be like a bandwagon thing, but I'm a huge Chelsea fan myself, so it was kind of weird to see everyone be a Man U fan, but it was fun to rub it in that we won the Premier League this season, but 
I they're think, like true fans. Like they know like who they're going for in transfer windows. Yeah, like they're it's up crazy. to date on transfers. It's crazy. Like, the, I found out from my cousin, who's a huge Man U fan, about the um, Perisic deal that um, he was going to Man U. So I was like, oh wow. So you knew that before I knew anything about <laughs> the EPL transfers, which is very surprising to me. But at the same time, it's not because that's just the power of soccer and I guess deglobalization of sport nowadays yeah I was actually talking to just one more one more um, thing on this but I was talking to a uh, hotel manager who grew up in Nigeria as a Chelsea fan nice and he said that there was um, there's a lot of religious conflict and a lot of conflict within Nigeria politically religiously and that you'll get um, people who otherwise politically would hate each other in the same bar, watching Chelsea at the same bar, going crazy, loving each other, hugging each other whenever Chelsea would score, whenever they would uh, win the league, there'd be like riots in the street. But then the next day, they'd go back to that general distaste. And he's like, it's amazing what like the uniting factor they can do with, with sport. Yeah, and the biggest question I always get from my cousins, my aunts and uncles in India are, will cricket ever become big in the U.S.? like it is in India and I always tell them no because the U.S. has baseball and as long as baseball is a huge sport in the U.S. which it, it will always will it always will be oh, there's there's camps that think it's the fan base is dying out but but it's still like it's America's game yeah. after it's football, a staple you know. yeah after the NFL like the MLB is like the staple and they have the entire summer for themselves like the MLB has the monopoly over the That's summer true. season so I don't think baseball will ever die, which means there's not really any room for another, like, a bat and ball sport in the U.S. And I think that's the reason why cricket will never make it to the U.S., unfortunately, because it is a great sport. But talking about baseball, MLB is now 70 games into the season. We've seen a lot of big stories. Almost I, made it to the halfway mark. Yeah, the All-Star game is right around the corner, and I think the most surprising story is the Rockies oh, in the NL far, West. By far, yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah, the NL West in general. Actually, you called yeah, it right. Yeah, <laughs> it's not who would have thought. I did say the Rockies would be the sleeper team. You can catch that in one of our earlier episodes. We made our MLB picks, Mitch and I, and I picked the Rockies to come out as the wild card in the NL. So I'm going to give myself a little tap on the shoulder there because I did make that pick. But the NL West is a really tight race right now. The Rockies oh do have the lead. That's definitely by far my, my biggest surprise. I did not think all three of them would be competing right. this intensely. Yeah, the Dodgers are a half game back, and the Diamondbacks are a game back, and they have the three best records in the NL. So if you want to make the playoffs in the NL, you're going to have to win your division because yeah. the NL West is going to have three teams. Like the Cubs, who won the World Series, are like nine. I think they're nine games back in the wild card. Yeah. so the, It's like they won the World Series. <laughs> but Yeah, and they're a game and a half back in their own division. So if they want to make it to the playoffs, they're going to have to win the NL Central. The Nationals have the top seed in the NL East. They're nine and a half games up already. Doesn't look like they're going to ha get much competition there from the Mets or Marlins. So. Oh. I mean, the Mets were the only one who were really going to challenge you, and they kind of got really unlucky this year. Yeah. You just got to chalk that one up. A lot of injuries like last season, but I think that's a wrap there in the NL East. Talking about the AL, no surprise with the Astros out to a 12-game lead there in their division. Mitch and I, we both had them coming out of the AL as our picks in the World Series. They're 
coming away with their division, no problem. I think the biggest surprise for me in the AL is the Yankees, how well they've played yeah. so far. Yeah, they're giving the Red Sox a run for their money, which Boston fans cannot be too happy about. No, Boston's caught they, up, though. They're only half game back now, but... And that whole division's pretty tight, uh, with the Orioles and Blue Jays tied for fourth, five games back, but you, you got to think the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to be the ones fighting it out for it. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees, a lot, a lot of that is to thank is um, Judge... Aaron Judge, yeah, he's 25 years old, which makes him older than I think. I think he's, he's older than Bryce Harper. There, he's 25. I know that for a fact. I just don't know how old Bryce Harper is, but he's an old young fella in the MLB. So he's got 23 home runs, and we just got confirmation from our stats guy that Bryce Harper is 24 years old. But Judge has 23 home runs already. Only 70 games in. He's definitely the tank in that Yankees offense. Yeah, he's like 6'6". Six, six, like yeah, he's massive. Spanks the ball. Yeah, the I think the best graphic I've seen is Orioles. Um, Chris Davis on the Orioles is actually a pretty big fella himself. And there's a picture with Chris Davis at first base and Aaron Judge right next to him at first base. And it's like looking at uh, five foot five soccer players standing next to Shaq. Like, it's incredible about how big Aaron Judge is. And he hasn't cooled off like I thought he would, which is what's the most know. surprising. Maybe he gets a big-headed all-star. If he gets in that home run derby, gets a little big head, he may cool off. That's seemed to happen to a couple of the big power hitters the past couple of years. But I'm right now, I'm just, I'm just admiring the beast. Yeah, I'm excited to see him in the home run derby. He probably will be participating. But I'd, lo- I'd love to see him go up against the youngster for the Dodgers, Bellinger, who himself has 21 home runs and is only 21 years old. So that's a bright future there in L.A., and I really want to see him go up against Judge in the home run derby final at Marlins Park, which is a pretty big park by itself, and I'd love to see where these guys hit it in that park. Speaking of baseball, to keep going, the biggest question here right now is who's the best player in the NL right now? I say there's three top candidates for NL MVP at the moment. I'd say Bryce Harper, Nolan Arenado, and Paul Goldschmidt. Well, Goldschmidt sits second in RBIs right now, I believe. For the oh no, for the NL? Yes, um, behind, I think so. He's got 57, yeah, I do 57 know. 57 behind Lamb. His teammate, <laughs> yeah. which is what's... Arenado sits third at 55. And Bryce Harper's got 53, so... That's their, R- their RBI breakdown is 57, 55, 53. Goldie, Arnado, Harper. Home run breakdown, Harper's got 18. Goldie's got 16. Arnado's got 15. And when it comes to batting average, Goldie's hitting 324. Harper's hitting 316. And Arnado's hitting 299. There's not much separating yeah. all three of these guys. I think it's a very, very tight race right yeah. now to who's the best player in the NL. So... I mean, personally, I, I like Arenado as the best purely because this guy's the best third baseman in the league, and that's one of the hardest positions to play out there. And anytime you get a third baseman with these types of uh, offensive numbers, it's pretty rare. But um, I think that they're going to give, I, I think MLB's, they're not going to give it to Harper because he's kind of like, he's burned out his, uh, his initial star power, I guess. And now he's just Bryce Harper. He's not the, the next greatest thing. And so I think the writers are just going to be kind of um, accustomed to him, to his production, and it's, it's going to work against him. It's like how what happens to LeBron. Like, he's the best guy 
every year, but he never wins MVP. So I think Goldschmidt will take it this year, though. What do you like? I mean, I've got a little bit of bias here. I think Harper's – I picked Harper to win the MVP at the beginning of the season. I'm going to stick with my pick, Bryce Harper. I mean, he's definitely up there. It's – the thing is, with the Nationals' offense, I arguably think they have the best 3-4-5 in baseball in Harper, Zimmerman, Murphy this season. I have to agree. And what's, like, to me flabbergasting is if Adam Eaton was healthy, they're – their lineup would be Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, Bryce Harper, Ryan Zimmerman, Daniel Murphy, Anthony Rendon. That that is. How are you not averaging eight runs? I think they are. Oh my god! I, I think they're. I don't think they're averaging eight, but their <laughs> offense is up there because their bullpen is the worst in the <laughs> National League. And to win games in Washington nowadays, you have to give your bullpen at least five runs support, or I tell you, they will blow it. The Nationals' bullpen is the worst, and if the organization does not make a move by the deadline to bring in a relief pitcher and a closer, the Nationals will go nowhere in the playoffs again. Have it you, is the same story every single season. Have you heard from your little birdies in Washington um, any potential trades for relievers? Because it's clear, it's a clear necessity, especially I've, in postseason play. I have heard that the Nats are looking at Kelvin Herrera, the closer for the Royals, but... Until I see a deal done, I don't want to speculate with MLB closers, relievers. There's so many of them. I just want somebody that's going to come in in the ninth inning and get us the win when we're up by one run. They blew the I mean, bullpen blew the lead again yesterday. Yeah. So it's it's an every night thing now. Like they have a nine and a half game lead in the division. It yeah. could be twenty. Yeah. The, it it could be twenty it's, it's with right. the yeah, right. horrendous bullpen because they have the best pitcher. Arguably the best pitcher also yeah, in the NL. Yeah. Best ERA. That's not yeah. it. 2.26 ERA in Max Scherzer. Then you've got Strasburg, Geo, and... Geo's having a great year. Yeah. I'll... He's in the top five in ERA. Geo's been great. Panororik's been good and bad. So, it's despicable how bad this bullpen is. Just this is despicable. I mean, how many... Do you, do you know the numbers? But, like, I think they've had, like, five different guys try and save... This oh season? yeah, I think Matt Albers has a save. Blake Trinan has a save. Coda Glover's got a save. Sean Kelly's got a save. Um, someone else probably has a save. Any Romero, I like any yeah. Romero, but he probably has a save too. It's if I'm Dusty Baker, I'd honestly like tank the bullpen to force the management to make a move. Right. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's doing that now. And we yeah. just don't know. Like, but that's what I would do. He's a crafty guy. And thank God for that tune that I'm hearing because I, if I keep talking about the Nats bullpen, my brain might collapse. So for this episode of Guess Who, I've got three clues here. For Carl to guess, it's going to be an NBA draft edition because that's what we're going to move on to coming up here. My first clue is this young fella is from Houston, Texas. That's where he's from. Okay. That's not where he played, like, you know, college youth, okay. but that's where he's from. This past season, he averaged 18.4 points per game. And his school has played in a national championship game in the last five years. So, Houston, not going to help me. Um, if you want a fourth clue, I can give it to you. The, I mean, I'm, I love Texas, but 
Not not uh, as much as I love North Carolina. But I will say national championship within the past five years could be deceiving, but that leaves a lot of opportunities. City averaged 18.4 points a game. Mm-hmm. A lot of the top prospects are. Um, so that leads me to think, I believe, if you're going to throw a, a trick question at me, I believe Justin Jackson from North Carolina at UNC was from Texas. Um, I think Josh Jackson uh, is from Texas, but I may be wrong. And those those teams have both played within the last five years. Nope. All right, I'm gonna stick with Justin Jackson. That's correct, Justin Jackson, UNC. That's unbelievable. Like, if this was me guessing, I I'd literally be like, mellow tremble. <laughs> like I, that's that, that, I mean, not really though, because I know he's from Maryland and played at Maryland. But that's unbelievable. Like literally, eighteen point four points per game could be anybody in college basketball. I mean, it couldn't be anyone. You know, it has to be yeah, someone who's like, produced. Who's produced? But like, it, that's a huge range. Yeah. Like, it could be like a D two player, to be honest. Like sure. that's that. Yeah. Like it could be someone like Markel Fultz. Like. <laughs> Obviously, he's not going to play. He hasn't played a national championship game, but it's somebody like that that could average eighteen point four points per game. And on a team like UNC, when you've got so many options, like that's not who you think of off the top. Well, full disclosure: I grew up in Chapel Hill. Both of my parents went to UNC, so I do have a bit of a regional bias with that one. But hey, it was a good one. Hadn't stumped me yet. It was. It was. And. I don't think I've stumped anybody yet, which is honestly very disappointing. I was for me. very disappointed with your Conley one. Yeah, Mitch got Mike Conley very fast. He, I, I think I was I, the minute you said Ohio yeah. State, I was like, it's Conley. Yeah, I think I stumped him on my uh, Marcus Stroman. I might have stumped yeah, him on that have. one. We'll have to we'll fact check that gonna, one. That might be the first. Who am I though? That might be the first. Who am I? But this was very impressive. I'm very impressed right now. Like, wow. Because I could never do something like this. All right, and speaking of, of the devil, should we get him on the line? And now joining us is our beloved friend and co-host of the Open Tab Podcast, Mitch Lord from Philadelphia. Are you excited for this NBA draft, Mitch? Um, um, is it bad that I'm wearing my uh, Sixers jersey and there's still like 48 hours before the draft starts? I'm wearing my Charlotte Hornets shirt, so no. Okay, Carl, you're irrelevant. Your team is irrelevant, all right? What are they even picking, like, 13th? It's 11th. All right. That's... Just outside the top bubble. Yeah, that's how. Geez. That's where we like it. Irrelevant. Mitch, on the other hand, your team has the first pick. What, what's it like for you, Mitch? Like, I remember when John Wall was the first pick for the Wizards a couple years ago. No, not a couple. A few years ago. I was so happy. How happy are you? Well, I can't really say it's a new feeling because <laughs> the Eagles have had the second pick last year. The Flyers picked second this year. The Sixers picked first last year, third the year before that, third the year before that. The Phillies picked first a couple of years ago. So, which also tells you a lot about the state that Philadelphia sports is in right now. <laughs> um, but out of all the teams... Sixers are definitely the most exciting, and it's 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 exciting, like you said, with the John Wall draft because everybody knew it was John Wall and then the field. Yeah, um, a lot of people like to talk right now about oh, Fultz isn't really the consensus number one, but he is. Like, yeah, 
every team would probably take him first that doesn't have a franchise point guard. It's definitely the safest uh, bet. Yeah, I think he's the most... I also think he's the most NBA-ready, if that makes sense. I think he could make an impact right away. Yeah, so... Whereas I think, I think Darren Fox, guys like that, Fox and Ball and... Um, um, Dennis Smith. Yeah, Dennis Smith, sorry. Jonathan Isaac. All, a lot yeah, of them I are projects. You're right, they're projects. Yeah, I think those guys are are more potential-based picks, whereas Fultz is somebody who is, you know, the the biggest knock on his game right now is that he didn't win yeah. at Washington, which right. tells you a lot about how good he is. There's no substantive knocks on his game. We should also clarify that Washington has one of the worst uh, college basketball coaches out there, Lorenzo Romar, at the time. Horrible coach, horrible players surrounding him. Just and it, it hasn't been a good basketball school since Isaiah Thomas left. I mean, he, he won a ton in DeMatha, and he won gold with the U.S. under-18 team. So he's won before. It's, it's a really sorry argument. So I've got two questions for you. First question is, so Fultz didn't win much at Washington. Ben Simmons at LSU... I mean, didn't make the tournament, doesn't have that experience either. Are you concerned at all with Dota? No, because, I like, if if winning in college meant anything, then, you know, what about the players who never went to college? What about LeBron James or Kobe Bryant? Like, they're not perennial losers. It's, 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 it's stupid. Like, these kids are there for one year. Ben Simmons admitted he checked out and, wasn't even going to classes anymore. He was just practicing to to be the first pick. Fultz, you know, the, the t- his team won nine games. He had nobody else around him. Right. Um, so I'm not worried. It's it's and Fultz has never played with a player of Ben Simmons' caliber and Embiid's caliber and uh, Dario Saric's caliber and vice versa. None of the other guys have played with like all this collective talent around them. So, like, they're going to be able to, and they they all complement each other so well. So they they should be able to win together. Like their 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 college careers should have no impact on how how well they perform. And the second and more important question I have is: so how does this shape the Sixers' starting five next season with Fultz in that starting five? So Fultz will be the 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 one, and people people love to ask. Like, isn't Ben Simmons going to be the, the point guard, the, the ball handler? Well, let's look at how it plays out in Cleveland with LeBron, who is the ball handler, and Kyrie Irving. It, it works pretty fine for them. <laughs> Quite a comparison, though, Mitch. Who can, who can, he's a point guard who is really good without the ball. Mm-hmm. He's a good off-the-ball mover, if, if, if you've ever watched him. Um, and he's also a good facilitator, like Kyrie. He just doesn't get the enough touches to get all those assists because LeBron touches the ball so much. Um, and that's probably what it'll be like with Simmons, who will run the point. Right. Um, but Fultz is also a really good shooter, which is something the Sixers need desperately. Um, he also has room for improvement on the shot. Like, that guy can yeah. get knocked down three-point shot. Fultz is the first player, I want to say since, like, 1984 or something, um, who was under 21 years old in college to average... 20-plus points per game, 5-plus rebounds, assists per game, 
shoot 40% from three and 50% from the field. So, he, talent-wise, I, I don't really, I don't think he's going to be a bust. Sure, he could be like just a, a couple-time all-star, which would basically make him a bust. But <laughs> I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. So I think he'll start at the one. The two is kind of up for grabs. You know, you have Nick Stauskas. Um, I'd like to see them go get Contavious Caldwell Pope. Maybe nice. I'd throw a lot of money at him. You know, he's another knockdown shooter. He's good on the um, defensive end too. It's a... Yeah, he's a really strong defender, and he's only he's 24, 25 years old. He's very young. He's yeah, really young. Um, so that would be he'd fit right in in terms of. It's not like a lot of people want the Sixers to go get JJ Redick, who yeah. is old and would not be there when this team is in its prime and ready to contend. Right. Whereas Caldwell Pope could be. So I'd like to see them get them start him or get uh, Caldwell Pope start him at the two, Covington at the three, uh, Ben Simmons at the four, and Embiid at the five, and then brings uh, Dario Saric off the bench. Um. Now there's some rumors floating around that the Sixers are trying to get Porzingis. That that would be very interesting with Embiid and Porzingis in that front court. If that happens, I don't know how Phil doesn't isn't fired. Porzingis is amazing. <laughs> Porzingis at the four, Embiid at the five, Simmons at the three. And then you bring Covington and Charge off the bench. That'd be a tough team. That'd be a six seed in the East, in my opinion. Yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah, this year, that's a six seed. Like, and they're all under 23 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what's your window? Like, well, not window, or say, like, what is, like, your year where you need to be in the NBA Finals by this year? People, people are, like, really mm-hmm. impatient. You know, the only player that's in the final, leading a team to the finals when he's, like, early 20s is LeBron. Yeah. Players take to, like, look at Steph Curry. I mean, he was in the league for, what, seven years before he took him to the finals, and he needed Clay and Draymond right. to help to get him. Like, he couldn't do it on his own, and he couldn't do it until he was 27. These kids are still really young. Um, but, I mean, Embiid and Simmons, like, from what we've seen of Embiid and what we saw in college from Simmons and Fultz, these, these are three kids who could be generational talents. Like, Embiid is, is changing the game. Um, in front of our eyes, like guys like him and Porzingis and Jokic and Cat, um, and Embiid could end up being the best out of all of them. Him and Cat are probably the most, um, you know, numbers wise and what they played, probably the most accomplished. Porzingis regressed a little bit this past year, but can't really blame that on him. Um, so I would say, I want to say like. He's like an artist. 
you don't appreciate it <laughs> until he's until he's gone. Um, and unfortunately, my dad was one of those people. He loved to bash Hanky, and now he's he's seen the fruits of the labor. This is what you build for. You build a team through the draft. This team is all going to be put together through the draft, and it's it's kind of refreshing in the era of super teams. You know, the Warriors did draft Clay, Draymond, and Steph, but. You know, they added Bogut, they added Iguodala, key pieces who were added through free agency. They added Durant. Um, like, this team is all organic so far. Not to say that they're not going to add free agents, which I'm sure they will, but right now, the five pieces that like, team score, Sharge, Covington, Fultz, Embiid, and Simmons, it's all they're all homegrown. Like, they're all going to be drafted by the Sixers which is kind of refreshing to see. I saw somebody tweet that, like, this is a super team, like an organic super team. Like, they're drafting a super team, which is basically what Hinky was trying to do, but nobody would give him the time to do it. And, you know, people like to, like, people are like, oh, what are Sixers fans getting excited for? Well, what else are we supposed to get excited about? <laughs> you get excited because of potential. Like, I'm sure the Warriors were excited when they drafted Steph Curry, even though they were a joke in the NBA for years before that because they drafted a kid who took Davidson to the Elite Eight by himself. So I'm sure they were thrilled about that. It's just such a silly, silly thing to attack somebody who's now like you just, you said to me before the show started, you want to see the Wizards hire Sam Hinkie. Nobody (laughs) would have been saying that beforehand. But now that this is kind of played out this way, the tables have really turned. Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying. Like, when the Wizards had the number one and we're going to take John Wall, we were nothing. Like, we had, what, Nick Young, Andre Blatch, Brendan Haywood at the end of his career. Like, that team was yeah, terrible. Anton Jameson, Deshaun Stevenson. Yeah, that team was terrible, but I was excited for that season because I was excited for John Wall, and I knew what he could yep. become in D.C., and that, and that is what he has become. He's become... And then you got... Yeah. You got another high pick, and you got Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, and then we got Otto Porter, and then yep. those three players are now max contract players Your in this court. NBA. Yep. And because it's so it's yeah. so silly to just say we shouldn't be excited. Of course we're going to be excited because this, these kids have the potential to be superstars. Exactly. And that's, that's how you win in this league. You need a superstar to win. Yeah. And they're building it at the right time. You know, everybody on the Warriors is 28 years old or older, or turning 28. Um, Russell Westbrook is 28. Um, LeBron James is 32. And none of those other guys are LeBron James where they're going to be able to be in their prime when they're like 33 or 34. They're going to they're going to regress like Kobe did. And yeah, um, like LeBron is just a rare breed where he's somehow still in his prime. He's a once in a generation. So we're building this team when these kids are 21, 22, 20, and 19 when these other super teams are getting older. You know, the guys who are still going to be there, Kawhi, we're going to have to compete with them. Um, But the the teams that have won the bulk of the championships the last four years are getting older, and we're building our core as they're aging, which is – it's been perfect timing. Because why – um, roommate this past year, Matt, fan of the Hawks, and he would always talk to me about how he would much rather be. I found this so interesting. He would always say he'd much rather be 
in the position as a fan in the position my team was in the Sixers rather than his team which is so interesting because I think if I'm not mistaken other than like the Spurs maybe in the Eastern Conference they have the longest playoff streak they do they yeah. do it's called NBA um, purgatory so he's yeah, exactly you're you're the especially in LeBron's tenure you are basically playing for second place like Ani, your team was the Wizards were great this year, but deep down you knew you were playing for to lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh yeah, the whole season I was like, I just want us that to be was, in the Eastern that Conference Finals. That was your Finals. highest achievement. That would have been your highest achievement, runner up in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that would have been a great year, successful year. But it's just like we spent so many years with Iguodala as our superstar. God, that was horrible. Um, <laughs> That dunk contest was fresh, though. I love Iguodala. Like we we tried to like talk ourselves into like making him something he wasn't. Like he was not the star of a team. He is and what he was in Golden State. That is yeah, his. That is Iguodala. He's he's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame because of he found this role. That okay, let's not get ahead there. of ourselves. It's a, it's a basketball Hall of Fame, not the NBA Hall. Of oh, fame. okay. Yeah, he's, he's going. He's to going to the basketball Hall of Fame. Yep. Yep. I mean, he's he's a gold medalist. He's an he's, NBA Finals. Yeah, MVP. he's a Finals MVP. I think that automatically signs him in there. Yeah, good point. Dunk contest. Yeah. He was amazing. Yep. So, yep, get him in. So yeah, we but we were trying to talk ourselves into making him something he wasn't. We were trying to make him the star, the next Allen Iverson, like the next go-to guy in Philadelphia, and he wasn't. And we spent years and years in, like Carlson, NBA purgatory, fifth seed, sixth seed, seventh seed, eighth seed, bounced in the first round. Bounce in the second round, middle of the road draft pick. Don't get any better. Yeah, and Sam Hinkie yeah. saw that was a problem and was like, you know what? We're just going to be really bad. We're just going to suck. It's going to it's going to take time, but we're going to suck. And I recognize there's a lot of talent coming up in the next few years, and we're going to build around those players instead of getting crappy draft picks who don't pan out because it's it's. Statistically proven that picks one, two, and three are—it's a much greater chance for them to become all stars than picks ten, eleven, twelve, and up. Um, and that's what he did, and it's worked so far. I mean, Embiid with Embiid last year—he was worth so many more wins than. I mean, we all—we almost—if he would have played a full season, we would have made a run at the eight seed. Yeah, I think that would have been a huge possibility. Which is really saying something, considering how bad they were the past right. years. And speaking but of... I, the, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, speaking of the top three picks, I mean, obviously, Fultz will be the consensus yeah. number one overall pick. I mean, Carl agrees with that, yeah. of course. I agree with that. And I think number two just became a for-sure Lonzo Ball to the Lakers after the trade the Lakers just made. Agreed. Right. Yep. Yeah. For those who don't know, the trade was the 27th pick in this draft, and Brooke Lopez from uh, the 27th pick from Brooklyn uh, are going to the Lakers for Timofey Mozgov and D'Angelo Russell. So now that Russell is out of LA, Lonzo is a sure thing. Yeah, because they, now they're going to need that primary ball handler, and Lonzo's great fit to kind of help develop Brandon Ingram, who I'm still very high on. I think that guy's made great progress throughout the year. Shooting strokes improved. He's getting strong. He's hitting in the weight room. He's getting stronger. He's still a string bean, but give him two years, he might be uh, 
dunking on old LeBron. Who knows? So I think the real question is, who do the Celtics take at three? Is it Jackson or yeah. Tatum? So, I mean, I think we should kind of all kind of act like we're in the we're in the Celtics boardroom. We've got Danny Ainge, the the brain doctor, everyone there. Red Auerbach's ghost, like <laughs> we're so we we're at, we got the third pick. We just trade down. We're gonna get made. Of, we're gonna get booed. Whatever we choose from all the Boston fans. So I think it's we have Isaiah Thomas, and I think that they're they have like by trading the one they've shown that they're committed to Isaiah Thomas because they're not gonna draft Isaiah Thomas's replacement with Markel Fultz anymore. Yeah. So this yeah, makes me trade think the one. they traded they traded Fultz. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's they so now their options. We're assuming Lonzo's off the board. Um, is Jacks yeah. J- Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum? Or if you're feeling feeling big, maybe Jonathan Isaac. But I think it's between Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum. What do you guys think? I personally think they should go with Jackson. Okay. Why? I think Jackson's a better wing player than Jason Tatum is. I think Jason Tatum's a better scorer, like down the stretch in games, more consistent. But I think Jackson provides more athleticism and versatility, which is what the... I think the Celtics need, and I think he'd better fit their system in Boston. How is he different from Jalen Brown? I mean, for one, he's bigger than Jalen Brown. I yes. think Jalen Brown can play in the two spot, and I think Jackson cannot. But okay. I think Jackson can stretch out and play the four and the three. Not right I away, think, but eventually. Not right yeah. away, but I think if he gets bigger yeah. and develops that talent, I think he can be play that stretch four in Boston, which is key. Right beside Al Horford. Yes. Um, and what do you think, Mitch? Um, I, I, as you were saying, Ani, between Jackson and Tatum, one of the things that people talked about with the Sixers pick is how sure are they that there's that big of a gap between Fultz and the rest of the class. And as we were talking about earlier, I think Fultz is going to make an impact right away, whereas I think everybody else is more of a project. So I really do think there is a pretty big gap between him and the rest of the class. Um, Lonzo, I think, is right next in line. So as we said, he's definitely going number two. Um, I still think I wouldn't be surprised if they traded number three. Yeah. Uh, to try and get Butler. Right. Because um, right now, what I've read is that Jimmy Butler is either going to the Celtics or the Cavs. Yeah. So. Well, let's just, let's assume they keep the pick. Yeah, let's assume the pick. for the for the sake of pick, picking the picks like today, for the podcast sake, that non no trades are happening. These teams are picking in their spot. Who did who did the Celtics take at three? Um, I think they'll take Josh Jackson, but I think Jason Tatum would be a better fit because he's more able to play the four right now. Um, he's also a better shooter. Josh Jackson's shot mm-hmm. worries me a lot. Yeah. His his ball handling worked me a lot too. He worked out for the Lakers, and um, all the reports were that it went horrible. Wow! That right. he looked—he looked like he didn't know how to shoot. He looked like he didn't know how to handle the ball, which is scary because I don't get how these kids get so highly touted when you can't shoot the damn basketball. That's what basketball is. Shooting. Yeah. yeah, that um, bothers me so especially much. Especially when you're a wing. Yeah. Um, so. 
I think they'll take Josh Jackson, and I think they probably would have taken him at the one spot too. But I think Tatum would be a better fit. I, I, I did read something today that said Jackson did not agree to work out with the Celtics. So which they, could which could sway things. Which could sway them to actually taking Tatum on draft night. But I mean, Curry never worked out with the Warriors, and they still drafted him. So that's it may may affect the choice. But I think um, one the th- back to the thing about shooting. Lonzo Ball's shot bothers me. He shoots from his left hip like shooting a shotgun. Um, Josh Jackson shoots with the outs with his pinky in his in his. Um, I don't even know his ring finger, yeah. but um, and so he's super inconsistent and like usually the t- the the tell of like are they going to be a good shooter or not is free throw percentage. I think Josh Jackson's in college was like sixty percent. It was not great, so like he's going to have to have a great shooting coach to totally fix his stuff up, or otherwise he's just going to be a, another a less profound version of Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Um, so then I think they're going to go Tatum purely for offensive ability. Like, Brad Stevens is a great coach. I think he'll be able to hide him on defense. But Tatum is a NBA scorer. He's got great size. And the trend of the NBA is going is that um, you're basically got to be formidable on defense. But, like, how many playmakers can you get on the court? I don't think, like, Jason Tatum sucks at passing. Like, that, he just does not know how to pass. He is a selfish ball hog, but I think it's easier to teach yourself as a ball hog to, to pass than it is to teach, to completely change someone's shot. And that's where I stand right there. But you, you chose two Jacksons to my Tatum, so we'll say Jackson got drafted. Now on to Phoenix. And I don't think Phoenix will take whoever falls over because that I don't think they need a Jackson or a Tatum. I think the Suns will take Fox at number four. I hope so. And that's going to be the next best backcourt in the NBA. I mean, we've got Curry and Clay, We've got Lillard and McCollum, Wall and Beal. And I think the next duo in backcourt in the NBA is going to be Fox and Devin Booker. Oh, I'm, I mean, I've been slurping the Fox. Cool. Oh, my gosh. I think that guy's going to be amazing. His competitive attitude is phenomenal. Like, he shut Lonzo Ball down. He picked him up full court, just completely dominated him, had 39 points in the tournament game. Lonzo Ball had 10, all due to Duran Fox's competitiveness. Yeah. And yet the, the, the knock against him is the shot. Yep. He just doesn't doesn't have it yet. But the thing is, John Wall didn't have the shot coming into the league no. either. John no. Wall didn't have a shot. But now John Wall's a – he's almost a knockdown mid-range yeah. Which is all you need when you're a point guard, because you don't—he doesn't need to shoot the three on that team. Yeah. He doesn't need to. He just has to drive oh, the lane, Booker? draw, oh draw traffic in the lane, and kick it. And if the bigs drop back, he's got a beautiful floater. That's yes. something Fox has. Yes. That's one of his bright spots it's in this game. It's his very rare beautiful. in this draft. There's yes. not a lot of great floaters in this draft. But. Almost got like a Steph Curry floater. Because Steph Curry's got a great floater as well. Yeah. The two things that. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Can we talk about how many, if they take Fox, how many Kentucky players would be on the Suns? <laughs> what are they? Um, so Booker. Evan Booker, Tyler Eulis, Archie Goodwin, Eric Bledsoe, and uh, Brandon Knight. Uh, so we think they're right. trading with Pelicans for Boogie? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, they yeah, they should just hire Calipari. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke. <laughs> They're trying to recruit yeah. Calipari. Also, just uh, I, I I hate being contrarian, but um, basically, since this and it's nothing against him because I would never wish somebody to like perform poorly for their career. I just I don't think Fox is going to be any good. I I think he's relied on his speed to just kind of like. Is it because he's crazy athletic? Oh, um, yeah, which is something that could definitely like I'm not like saying he's 100. I'm not gonna write him off. I just don't believe he's got the offensive skills. To I think like you said, point guard polish. Um, he's he's a really good defender, which he which will give him I think a long career. Like I, I don't think he's gonna be one of those players like. Joe Alexander from the Bucks yeah. went to West Virginia and was just—I don't—I don't, I don't even remember him ever playing a game. Um, <laughs> but I think he'll have a good career because, like you said, he's incredibly competitive. He's a good defender. He shut Lonzo Ball down. I'm just not sold on his offensive game. Is what I should say. If he does, if he if he is able to add an offensive game, I think he'll be a good player. But right now, I'm just not sold on it. The thing is, it's easier to work on your offensive game if you've already got the defense down, especially yeah. at the NBA level, which is why I think there's a brighter future for him because he's already got the tough part down. He's already a good defender. He's got the hustle. He's got the scrappiness. And if the offense is what needs to work out, I think that can be done. Yeah. Um, he's. You're, you're right, though, Mitch, in that he is not a natural playmaker. Like, he doesn't have a great feel for the PNR. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're, you're hoping that he's he's gonna develop that. But yeah, you're right. That is a big if. Because if you're if you're running the PNR with him, and you know he's not the best passer, and he's not. he can't shoot, you just you just double the, the the pick guy, and I'd let him shoot ten times out of ten. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. We'll see so how that goes. So let's uh, not change it. I mean, whether you think he's gonna be good or not, do you still think the Suns take him at four? It's so tough because the Suns are like the Suns have like a ton of players at each position that are just like not developed yet. Like it's like they could I could easily see them taking Tatum, but then they also Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, they still have Alex Len. They're the D League yeah, team of the NBA. Yeah, they have a bunch of like they have young <laughs> bigs that they can build around. But then I could also see them taking De'Aaron Fox, but they still have Bledsoe who's twenty seven. They still, I mean, they have Booker, they have Tyler Eulis, they have Brandon Knight. It's just, they're a really, like, crowded team with, like, young players who, like, aren't panning out yet. Yeah, I think they're, like, similar to Philly, how where they have, like, all these young talent where they could be good in a couple of years, but it's, I just don't see any, like, organization within that. Yeah, like, yeah. I agree. I ultimately think they'll take Tatum. I think I okay. think the Kings will take Fox. The Kings. So you. So we still think. So we we had two two votes for Fox. Right. So we'll, we'll say Fox is off the board. But yeah, that's definitely the Kings want Fox. We know that for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I think the Kings are going to try to trade like package their fifth pick and their what is it the tenth, tenth pick yeah. to get to the four and take Fox. I think that's what the Kings will do, but. For the sake of the draft, I think the Kings, let's say the Kings stick at five. I think they take Tatum. 
I think they take what's best available at five. And yeah, for the sake of to. my mock draft, I've got Tatum best available at five. And I think the top five rounds out with Fultz, Ball, Jackson, Fox, Tatum. I think that's your consensus top five. Yeah. And whereas the, whereas the Phoenix has all sorts of potentially they might develop into good players, the Kings have one player, and that is Buddy Hill. Buddy Hill. So they they need they need to take the best available on both of these picks. Buddy healed at all. <laughs> but um yeah so the so with the Kings taking Tatum or what do you think about that yes or no? Well he thinks the Kings take Fox. Mitch. Well no I mean but like we'll say we're saying that. Well I mean clear, like clear it's, board. I mean with the Kings taking Tatum at five it's more of a best available yeah. more than the best fit. Well, yeah, no, yeah, but like, yeah. that's what we're doing. We're doing yeah. like best available. I think best available, the Kings, and they take Tatum, they're at five. And I think you moving on to six now, I think the Magic, I mean. God, talk about a terribly I, run team. I was going to say they might take a big man like Jonathan Isaac here or uh, Markinen, but I think they need a scorer, and I think they go Malik Monk here. I mean, I think that will be disappointing. The Knicks fans who probably want Monk at eight, but. <sighs> I would want that. I I think the Magic should go with Malik Monk at six. I just think that's what they should go with because they do have still Vucevic on that roster, Biombo, but they could get a four like Jonathan Isaac to replace Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Um, What do you think, Mitch? I, I, Jonathan Isaac is one of my favorite players in this draft. Mm -hmm. So I do not want to see him end up in Orlando because he's just going to go, he's just going to be hung out to dry out there. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's, he's from Florida. Or he's, I mean, he's such a terrible in Florida. Team. Such a terrible organization. I would love to see Jonathan Isaac with Cat and Wiggins. Yep. And Me too. That's Me what too. I got. That's what I've got him at because seven. he is a perfect stretch forward. He's, he's absolutely um, perfect in that system. He can play the three, he can play the four, he can play the five. He's athletic enough to guard three or four positions um, and he's got a nice stroke and that's something they need because Wiggins shot isn't perfect yet Levine is the best shooter um, Cat I mean is a center yeah. um, he's got a good mid range but they need somebody who can hit the three ball and Rubio is dreadful from three Yeah, I, I um, think the Wolves need to do everything in their powers to yeah. get the six like the six spot yeah because they have yeah, they also I forgot about Chris Dunn. His last year. Yeah. It's I was talking to one of my friends about this yesterday. Is everybody, including myself, I, I'm not gonna exempt myself from this. After the Sixers took Simmons, we wanted everybody on my Twitter was begging for the Sixers to trade the twenty fourth, I think, or the twenty sixth pick that we had last year that we took TLC and for Cam Corkmaz. Um who I think both are going to be really good players. Mm-hmm. People kind of forget about them. Um, package those two picks and somebody else for, I think, the fourth or fifth pick to get Chris, Chris Tung. Yeah. And I'm so glad we didn't because now we have Holmes. <laughs> yeah, Holmes was a steal for y'all. Yeah, I just... I just... Uh, I, I, Chris Tung didn't really impress me this past year. I thought he was going to be really good. Um... Which he still could be, but I just I thought I was expecting a lot more from him. Yeah. So so you you love Jonathan Isaac and 
you'd hate to see him go to Orlando, but you think that's who the Magic take if they have the sixth? I think they probably do, yeah. yeah. I, think I think so, he's too. he's the best player available at that yeah, time. Yeah, me too. I mean, he's, he's I, I mean, from the research I got, is he's not, like, he'd even be a better fit. This is even more bigger case for Minnesota. He's not, like, his mentality is not necessarily alpha dog. I need to be in command of everything. Like, he played the three at Florida State as a yeah. 6'11 freshman. And so yeah. that really helped his development. It really helped his ball handling. It really helped his shot making. It really helped his understanding of spacing. Um, and he, I think he's just, because of this, like, um, this allure of, like, a 6'11 guy who can stay with guards, magic, the magic take him, because they already have all sorts of bigs. And that's just, like, the wrong decision to make, but they're going to do it. So, then, so we've got Isaac off the board at six, and I would have loved to have seen the Wolves take him at seven, but then I think the Wolves, there's no space for Malik Monk on the Wolves. I no. just don't think there's space for guards, so I think they take... They have to take Markkinen. Uh, I guess, yeah, I, I switch around my mock draft now in my notes, and I take Markkinen now at seven for I the mean, Wolves. They have to. I think they just have to. They can't fit Dennis Smith on there because Chris Dunn. They can't fit Malik Monk because Levine and... <coughs> And Wiggins and Don also kind of takes that yeah. role. Um, unless they want to trade something around, they're gonna have to choose with the position. It's yeah. unfortunate because Markin's definitely not the best available, but I think they have to take him. I agree. Which it, it, there's no knock on Markin. I think he's a great player. But no, there's a lot of knocks on him. It's yeah, too but, slow. I mean, it's, it's, it's too a, weak. Yeah, but it's not a knock on his talent. Like he yeah. he could be oh. good in the league, and he's not like I mean he's still gonna get drafted top ten. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's definitely not what the Wolves will want at seven. Markkinen is like a glorified Mike Dunleavy. <laughs> Thoughts on that pick, Mitch? Uh, I yeah, I agree. Um, you guys basically summed it up pretty well. Markkinen isn't the best player available there, but it's I hate drafting for fit. Yeah, that's why me, me so it's like a gimme for the Sixers. He's the best player available, but also fits perfectly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't go to the supermarket and buy things that you don't need just because they're good prices. You you, you get what you need. And right now the Wolves need somebody like Markin who can, you know, space the floor and give another shooter to a team that's crazy athletic. Um, so his athleticism might, his lack or lack thereof, I should say, might not be on full display um, because you know Wiggins and Levine and Rubio and Cat can kind of make up for it. Can you imagine him getting coached by Tom Thibodeau? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! So we've got Markinen off the board at seven, which brings us to the New York Knicks, and I think Malik Monk here at eight. No question about it. I, to New York my fingers are crossed. I went. I'm. I'm. I'm voting for Smith, but I hope one of these guys goes to my Madison Square Garden. I think Malik Monk in MSG is just. Oh my! It's gonna be goodness. fun to watch. He's a star. He's a scorer. He's a shooter. He, I think that's it. That's that's all you have to say about Malik Monk in New York. They need somebody like that. They really don't have a guard that can score off the dribble. So I think the Knicks need Malik Monk. What do you think, Mitch? I'm I'm Dennis Smith, Team Dennis Smith for this one. That's who I have. Actually. What are your What are your thoughts on uh, Smith, Carl? Oh my gosh! 
All right, so this dude. You're a North Carolina boy, and he's a North Carolina boy, too. Yeah, this dude. So I was like hip to him back in his ball is life days, but oh my gosh. We'll start off with the the Dennis Smith man. 48-inch vertical. Name someone with the higher vertical. Zach Levine, 46-inch. Zach Levine, 46-inch. Dennis Smith, 48-inch. That's crazy. Uh, Did that while working out for the Lakers. He... um, Got put into a really unfortunate situation at NC State. I mean, Mark Gottfried is like the next. He's he's a Lorenzo Romar wannabe. This guy definitely has somehow paid to get these guys. I don't know how he keeps getting five star point guards, but there's got to be some sort of money. Speculation, obviously, but I wouldn't be surprised if State gets put on an NCAA investigation. Dennis Smith comes out Eastern North Carolina. Crazy hops. He is the whole team. That NC State has a refrigerator as their center. Man's like 300 pounds. He can't pass to anyone. He has to do everything on himself. And there's the one play that, like, for me, sums up Dennis Smith is NC State goes to Cameron, crazy, uh, in Durham, North Carolina, and beats Duke for the first time in, since 1633. Uh, um, <laughs> And the end of the game is Duke has a chance to, I think, cut it within, to, I think, to take the lead. And they dribble down with, like, six seconds left. Jason Tatum gets the ball. Dennis Smith steals it. He then runs the length of the court in two seconds and then takes off from the free throw line and about tears the rim off and then uh, starts cussing out Duke crowd. That is Dennis Smith in a, like, in a moment. And he's just a big, big star guy. So if you put him in the Big Apple, I think he'll, he'll rise up to the occasion. His weaknesses are he's a ball hog, and he takes too many terrible shots. Um, but it's New York. I mean, I feel like the, the fans will get behind him. Got anything else? <laughs> I like it. Uh, I mean, I... I... Definitely understand. You, you feel some kind of connection to him. Definitely from North Carolina. I like, I like Dennis Smith. I wish he would have gone to a different school. I was kind of hoping he was going to go to UNC. Um, just so I, he would have been on a bigger stage because he's kind of like Fultz in a way. Yes, very um, much so. Very similar. People didn't, people didn't really get to see much of him because they might be the two best point guards in the draft, but neither of them made the tournament. Yeah. So. I wish you. I, I kind of wish he had gone to a more known school to get more exposure. But I can definitely see the Knicks taking him. This is my um, kind of weird pick, and it's fitting because it's because it's the Knicks because they <laughs> just do weird things. <laughs> I think they go with Frank Ntilikina. Yeah. Um, wow. The French guard. I like that. Yeah. He's crazy big. He's six six. Yeah, I think his wingspan seven one. He's super long. I mean, he's a point guard. Yeah, but he could he can play both. Crazy athletic. Like he's, um, he's the French freak, not the Greek freak. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to describe him. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that pick there too. But I think the Knicks won't take him, and I think they'd take. I don't know. Um, I think they'll take Malik Monk there because they'll take the star, but. I really think that Frank Nitilik 
Marquina. I honestly don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm probably butchering it. I speak as we French speak. and I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, but I think he's the better pick there. And, but I, I mean, I think Monk's the better pick at eight. I think he's the better player overall. And I think the Mavs will take the Tilinkia. Oh my God, I'm so bad with this guy's name at number nine. All right, so for the sake of argument, you say that um, that Monk goes to New York, or that Natalinka goes to New York. Natalinka, yeah. If if the French the French freak goes to New York at eight, then I think the Mavs. I don't think the Mavs will take Monk. I think they'd rather take Dennis Smith Jr. there at eight. Interesting. I guess yeah. Because they, they don't have they don't have a dominant point. Guard. They don't have I mean they've got Yogi Ferrell, but that's no dominant point guard in my opinion. So I think the Mavs will take him at nine, which then brings us to the Kings at ten. So Monk's Monk's so fallen. Monk could fall out of the top ten. I mean, I think the Kings have to take Monk if he's there. So once again the Kings are left with taking the best available at ten. Yeah. What do you agree? Um, so who do you have going ninth, Dennis Smith? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I agree with that. Um, I think the Kings uh, should take Zach Collins here at 10. I could see him taking Zach Collins. I can also see them taking, uh, Malik Monk. I feel like they would take Malik Monk. If he's not off the board, I feel like... I feel like you have to. I feel like it would be... I mean, talk about teams that like with the Knicks, Orlando, um, and the Kings are the big three organizations where they might do some. You, you just you just question it immediately. You're like, what in the world just happened? So you never you never know what's gonna happen, but we'll we'll assume rational us rational guys are in charge. Um, so then it brings us to 11. And I think there's some team that's very irrelevant picking at 11. Oh, you betcha. So we got <laughs> Charlotte Hornets, who've been a big fan of the NBA purgatory life for a while. Um, and we have the 11th pick in a draft that's arguably t- nine, nine deep. Um, we had the second pick in the Anthony Davis draft that was arguably one person deep. So we, we like to stay right outside the bubble of where there might be some good players. And so with the 11th pick, I've seen Charlotte get mocked a lot of different t- to a lot of different uh, players, Luke Kennard, Zach Collins, you know, white guys who played in North Carolina, white guys who played big. Um, so um, I think... There's a t- great mocks for the, uh, the Hornets, but if if Zach Collins is still on the board, I'd like to see us get Zach Collins and trash Frank Kaminsky's so-called development. Y'all are taking one of two players. You're taking Zach Collins or you're taking Luke Kennard. Charlotte loves the white guys. <laughs> Unfortunately. Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky... Luke Kennard, next Ad- year you're going to take Grayson Allen. Adam Morrison. Yeah, you love, they love the, the, the crazy good college career white guys. Zach Collins doesn't fit that mode exactly because he didn't 
actually killed a college career. It came around late. But I think they still, like you said, kill Frank Kaminsky's so-called development. I don't think they're as rational as you. I think they're, they think he's still developing. And I think they go Luke Kennard. Just on a, a note of Zach Collins, um, so I got some some intel from the Gonzaga management staff that even after practice and before practice, Zach Collins is still out there um, working on a shot, and that's the thing that he he thinks is the most slept on in his game. He thinks he's a knockdown shooter, so we'll see if he can prove it at the next level. Um, so we get. Collins off the board at 11, which brings us to the Detroit Detroit Pistons at 12. And I like Donovan Mitchell here yeah, at 12 me for too. the Detroit Pistons. Especially if KCP is gone yeah, in Detroit, that's what I was about to say. they need to replace someone at that two-guard position, and there's nobody better than Donovan Mitchell at this spot. I, I love, love, love Donovan Mitchell. Um I think if they do draft Donovan Mitchell, that might say something about what might be coming. I think it might be a little bit of foreshadowing um, with KCP. If they draft either Donovan Mitchell or Luke Kennard, yeah, I was about yeah. to say. Um, those are two guys who are basically, like, those are, sh- they're two guards. Like, that's what they're going to put. Um, and they don't really have any room at Power Forward to draft anyone. Yeah. And not, like, I don't think Detroit has drafted all that well in the past few years. I think Andre Drummond is one of the most overrated players in, in, in basketball. Um, his offensive game is so poor for how big and strong he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't shoot free throws. It, people like to say he can defend because he gets a lot of rebounds, but he's not that good of a defender. Um in the modern day. Really, the only thing he does well is, is rebound. And, yeah, he's 23 years old, but he's been in the league. It feels like he's been in the league for, like, 10 years. It does feel um, like that. So, I, I've read reports of, like, Pistons writers urging the, the Pistons to move on from Drummond. Um, I could see them, like, I, I could definitely, I definitely think they, they will take Donovan Mitchell. But if they took somebody, like, Jared Allen or Bam Adebayo, I think that would cause a lot of, you know, rumors spreading this world. Um, if they take either a shooting guard or a center, I think that's where they're at, thinking-wise, with, with KCP and Lestrade. Yeah, I agree. And so, so they definitely take a sh- shooting guard here at 12, and obviously... Yeah, I'm going, I'm going down in yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, and I think Carl is too. With Mitchell yeah. there at 12, which brings us to the Nuggets at 13. And there's a lot of different um, mock drafts with different players going here at 13. But Nuggets I like, have a lot of freedom with their roster. Yeah, I like the Indiana guy, Anunobi, here at 13. He's He can play the three and the four, which is what I really like about He's his game. He's got NBA size. And... He's got the athleticism to play in the league, and I think he'd fit in that system with Jokic in Denver. He'd be a good fit. I think he's in prison for murder because didn't he murder Devontae Dodd earlier this year? 
Yes, yes, I I think so. And I think he did it. I think he did it in College Park. So. Yeah, he did. I was there. <laughs> I, I witnessed the murder. It was the best dunk I've ever seen in my life. But they're not my three, and he dunked the ball. And it was like I was like, honestly, if you guys want to give him like four points for that, you could because that was great. I was like, I'll take the loss for that because the Bobby died. Don literally died. Yeah, and I think along with the Sixers and I guess the Wolves, the Nuggets are going to be a young team to watch for in the oh, next yeah. couple of years. Jokic is one of the, a pure baller's favorite guys to watch in the league right now. Yeah, and what's his name? Uh, Gary Harris. He's pretty good guard there. Jamal Murray is very good. Yes, and I Jamal yeah Jamal Murray is good, and I think Anunoby would just fit that. I don't know that. Fast-paced young boys, and then Jokic with—he's got the vision to really like. Just look at, just imagine alley oops from Jokic to Anunoby. Oh my God! Yeah, that just convinced me. I was gonna say John Collins, but I think the athletic wing would fit them better than a backup to Kenneth Freed. Yeah. Um. All right. So then we'll do a Frank in—I mean uh, Miami Heat. Sorry. Uh, my mock is wrong. So you've got Anunoby at 13 to the Nuggets, which brings us to the Heat, who had arguably, not arguably, who had the best second half of the NBA season last year, barely missed the playoffs. What piece, Mitch, do they need here in this draft to get them over the eight-seed hump? Well, off my board for 13, I think, like, basically another, a, a better shooting version of your... Um, Ananobi. I think the Nuggets go Justin Jackson. Um, oh, the Nuggets, okay. Because, like you said, they got the they got the big man, they got Jokic, they got the guards, they Harris, Moutier, um, Will Barton, they have Jamal Murray. They need a wing, they need a score, scoring wing, and Justin Jackson improves every year in North Carolina, improves his shooting every year. He's an incredibly good three-point shooter now. So I think he could be an interesting fit there. Um, but if they don't go Justin Jackson, I could definitely see them going OG. Um, and then 14, the Heat. It's weird because they're a weird team. They were really horrible. And then they were really good. <laughs> they're, Tyler they Johnson, 11 and 30, 100%. And then they went 30 and 11. It's one of the weirdest seasons I've ever seen. They got, they have a really good point guard. Goran Dragic is really good. He's really slept on. Deion Waiters is a super weird shooting guard. He thinks he's the greatest player in the world. <laughs> he's kind of horrible, but somehow he works there. We, we can't forget about Justice Winslow. He tore his ACL. Yeah, That's, uh, yeah he, is, he is for real. Justice Winslow is yeah, real He's going to be back, and he'll be in the three spot. Um, yeah, they got... James Johnson, they got Tyler Johnson, they got one of the best centers in the league, and Hassan Whiteside. Um, so, I could, like, I, I could see them taking a guard, like, Kennard. Uh, is there. Middletina's there. I could see them going him. I think Kennard. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I could see them taking John Collins from Wake Forest. Oh, that's actually a good one, too. If, if, the, if the Pistons don't take Mitchell at 
12. Imagine Mitchell in Miami at 14. How do you catch yeah, that? Nice shooting guard for them. Nice. I think that'd be yeah. really nice. And he's a four with uh, John Collins in a really good year at Wake Forest. I think he put up almost 20 and 10. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he completely changed his game from his freshman year to his sophomore year. He is a trawler. Yeah. He would be an interesting player along the right side. They'd be good, too good uh, you know, off the glass uh, big man. I mean, both rebounds, right. and John Collins definitely has much better vision than he gets credited for. And that's what you want on the court. He's a good guy. He can run with uh, heat. You know, having a run and rebound team, you can run in transition a lot more, especially with guys like Jodic, who's really good in transition. Um, but they'll need... The shooter was the definitely the dominant need for them, whether or not they take him. But he's definitely the need, so we'll we'll, we'll shoot in Kennard. So we'll wrap up 14. our lottery mock draft with Kennard at fourteen. I want to thank you, Mitch, for joining us over the phone here for the NBA draft segment. Hopefully, for the next episode, we'll have you in person. Enjoy Thursday, you lucky sob. I wish I was in your position as an NBA fan. Follow along on Snapchat. Trust the process. I'll be at some bar in a Sixers jersey. I hope. With else. Hope your organization doesn't mess this up. If if I hear if I hear Lonzo Ball's name on Thursday as number one pick, I'd like to volunteer as one of your pallbearers at your funeral that will be happening probably next week. Cause don't call, know what you do yep. to yourself. I call that front happens. left. No, it'll be Thursday night at like eight. I'll be there. Don't worry. I'll take the first flight out of D.C. I'll see you in Philly. Yeah, best of luck to you. Hope you enjoy your, your draft night. I can't. Is it weird that I'm already dreaming about, like I'm just daydreaming about the winding, the final seconds as, like, the Timberwolves and the Warriors commit a foul to, like, stop the clock? in game, like, six of the NBA Finals in the Wells Fargo Center, and everybody, the, the players are coming up, the fans, and I just hear the chance and trust the process as we're about to win the NBA Finals. Is it weird that I'm dreaming about that already? Yes, absolutely. I have some uh, some stuff that can help you out. <laughs> Leave me alone. It's not weird. All right, we'll talk to you later, pal. Of course, always. Uh, so that's the life of a sad sports fan there where the draft is the highlight of your season. See, us fellas in D.C., we get a playoff team apparently every season now only to lose in the playoffs, and then we cry. We're always stuck in purgatory. So I will have the Nats to look forward to in this summer. Mitch will have the upcoming NBA season and upcoming NBA seasons, hopefully for you to... Hornets turn it around. Hopefully the Panthers get back on track. But for today, for the first episode of the Summer Series, that's going to be it. 
I'm Anis Ridar. I'm Carl Hill. It's a wrap. Thanks for listening to our episode. Have a great NBA draft.